Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Emily Gray. Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Henry. Looking forward to this conversation. Uh, We're going to talk about how Emily transitioned from a Wall Street career to owning her own fashion boutique, which she started from a truck and has grown into a seven-figure brick-and-mortar retail and online business. I'm excited to dive into that and her journey getting there. To receive more information about the Howa business, including the show notes page of this episode, and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 772-837-5700, or just visit thehowabusiness.com. Let me tell you a bit more about Emily. Emily Gray is an impact entrepreneur, a keynote speaker, a coach, and the founder of The Flourish Market. The Flourish Market Boutique in Raleigh, North Carolina, is, as she calls it, a social impact retailer of women's fashions and gifts. Emily started her career, though, on Wall Street as a vice president of communications and change management. And five years ago, Emily founded her brick and mortar and online boutique, The Flourish Market, and has grown it, as I said, to a multi, multi-million dollar business in less than three years with zero paid advertising. So we're definitely going to explore how she managed that. She started Flourish Market from a fashion truck and has grown it into this seven-figure retail location for conscious consumers, and she carries items that support positive social impact. We'll dive into what all of that means. She's also the founder of The Locality, which is a co-working space and incubator program for female entrepreneurs in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. So with all of that, Emily Gray, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time and being willing to share your story with us. And let, let's start there. I'm always curious if you'll share with us briefly the, the story of your early career. I mentioned your career in Wall Street, but tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So Henry, like probably many of your listeners, I started my career in corporate, working for a pretty big company. So straight out of college. So I am from North Carolina. I went to college in North Carolina, at Elon University. I majored in business there a little bit as a lost soul and just did business because they said it was one of the two <laughs> biggest majors. And I was like, okay, I think I can do something in the realm of business. Um, and fell into a job right out of college working for a very large Swiss investment bank with 55,000 employees and got hired into the Raleigh office. But shortly after beginning my career there, I think less than a year later, I was off to live in London. And yes, so through my eight to nine years of working for that bank, I got to live in London. I lived and worked all over the world and fell into supporting um, the back office function, meaning I wasn't supporting the traders, but anything from like operations, IT, communications, HR, all those supporting um, roles. My job was to help train senior and middle managers on how to navigate their teams through chaos and change, okay? So, I lived through this job in 2008. So you can imagine the chaos and change was not great to navigate through. Okay. Um, And I loved my job. 
I loved my team. It built tough skin in me as a, um, a girl who grew up in Eastern North Carolina, where, um, in general, growing up, people didn't give like direct feedback. I was not only getting direct <laughs> feedback in corporate, people were like very mad. So I was the messenger a lot of times of bad news, but what that did was help me see how much I loved cutting away the chaos right? And really honing down on what needed to be done, helping these middle and senior managers get clear on that and getting them, helping them teach them how to get others on board. So their employees on board, people in other departments, other key stakeholders on board to walk towards a goal together. And how did you, how did you come to develop this focus <laughs> and, and skill in this area of chaos and change? Sure. So I was very privileged enough to receive a ton of training through the mm -hmm. bank. Okay. Um, one of those trainings was um, two men. It was like a week long training. I was in there with four other men and the two trainers were two men who led peace treaty negotiations for the U.S. government. Wow. Uh, they were not even playing around with that training. So just learning a lot of like psycho and like analysis and tangible skills. But I think it also comes with a natural personality of mine when I took strengths finders when I initially joined this job, um, my top strength is woo, winning others over. So I think wow. it combines kind of things I, I learned growing up, how, how I was created, but also pairing that with um, tangible skills mm -hmm. that I was able to learn through trainings in corporate and also just by trying and failing and having horrible conversations and looking <laughs> back and being like, okay, what, <laughs> what could I have done differently there? And I had some good mentors. Um, so during this time in corporate, uh, when you live in London, when you live in Europe, you get a lot of vacation time and people always take their vacation time. They get six or eight weeks and they take it, Henry. Take Let it, me yeah, tell you, yeah. they take it. And Very so, different approach and mentality to the States. It typically. is. It is. Yes, it absolutely is. Um, but I would spend a lot of my vacation time volunteering around the world and also back in the U.S. and throughout Europe, playing a behind the scenes role like I did in corporate, um, helping nonprofits and social enterprises win people over to their fundraising efforts or win people over to buying their fairly made products. Um, because I found that my skill set was really helpful behind the scenes because so many of these folks were so great at doing direct care and working directly with artisans and vulnerable people groups, but they needed someone to come along and say, okay, well, if you want to keep funding that, if you want to sell products, um, someone to partner with them behind the scenes to actually drive forward things that would help their bottom line so they could continue to do their really incredible impact work. Now, this and is something you were doing outside of work. This was- this It was volunteering. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. It started with a friend, connect me with a friend. <laughs> she was like, my friend of a friend like lives in this country and they're trying to raise money for their nonprofit and they want to start an email campaign. And I think you write emails for your job, question mark, <laughs> could you help? And I always tell people, be careful what you say yes to, because yeah. it only takes one yes to but change But they assume because you were in, in working for a financial company that you were an expert on raising money, or what, what did they base it on that they thought, okay, Emily can help? No, it was just how, like the winning people over portion. I, I don't see. still I to see. this day know a ton about finance. I mean, I know enough. I love investing, but that's not where I was helping. I was literally helping write email campaigns. I was helping write social media posts. I was giving like media training um, and yeah, just like supporting in that role of uh, passing along how I could win people over in my job and in my personal life to things that I cared about, right? And teaching them to do the same. Um, so I had a third of life crisis, Henry. 
Um, that's what I call it. Uh, <laughs> I was approaching my 30th birthday and maybe for some of you listening, um, you feel this like internal, it's a bit of like a fire, but then it's a bit of like fear and anxiety, but there's just this like internal turmoil of, I know I'm not supposed to be here forever. I'm making a cushy check. Maybe I should just be grateful, but also is there something more and different for me? Hmm. And what I had done, which is the advice I give a lot of people sitting in a job, they may think, well, maybe I want to become an entrepreneur is to stick your paddle in the water. Um, I'm a paddleboarder, Henry. And so if you try to put a paddleboard in the water and stand up on it, you're going to fall. But if you start sitting down and put your paddle in the water and start moving, then you can get up on your knees. You start paddling a little more fat, more quickly, then you can stand up and set sail. And so my challenge for what I tell people is what I did, which was start volunteering, start like trying out things to see what you actually do like and what you don't like outside of your day job. So I'd already started doing that. And I realized I love being able to drive social impact behind the scenes um, that I'm not called to direct care or to work directly with artisans and makers like on the ground. And I'm not a designer, but I can play this role of helping them grow their bottom lines through different you know, income stream opportunities. So one night, Henry, have you ever watched like a tiny house show? Oh, sure. Have you ever yeah. been upset? Okay. I was in like obsessed with them in 2015. It makes me claustrophobic, but yes, I've seen <laughs> Right. I'm like, where are you going to put all your stuff? So I was obsessed with those shows in 2015 as I'm approaching my 30th birthday. And I'm like, maybe I'll just move. I'll make a tiny house and move to the wilderness for three months <laughs> or something and reassess my life. But I was on Pinterest one night searching tiny houses and a photo came up of a fashion truck. I'd never seen a little mini boutique on wheels. That was July of 2015. And it clicked with me late that bet, late in bed that night, as I saw that picture on Pinterest and read the article about this fashion truck in LA that, oh my goodness, what if I started one of those? What if I quit my job, built a little mini boutique on wheels, bought from the social enterprises um, that I've already been volunteering with behind the scenes, and watched this in my community in Raleigh as I'd moved back to Raleigh um, around that same time. And I thought to myself, I wonder if women in my community would be interested in using their purchasing power in a way that can do good. Um, and so, was, so was, was it a passion for fashion or was it more that it clicked for you that this is how I can continue to serve this community that I've become aligned with? more of the latter. I do have a passion for fashion, but I'm actually a minimalist. I don't own a ton of clothes, which people always think is funny because I own a boutique, but right. it was more of, I can lean into my business skill set in a way that drives more meaning for me and more purpose in the world. Okay. Um, and so that was the biggest thing for me. And I love business. I love metrics and um, so many entrepreneurs, like they would not say that, but for me, that's what it's been for me. Yeah. Business metrics, measuring things, growing things, strategy. Um, yeah. And All right. So, so you get this idea July of 2015. Yeah. How long before then you launch the three months, three months. Wow. <laughs> three months. So, I quit. Um, did you leave? So you quit your job. I did. I quit my job. I did not even have the fashion truck yet. I just, you know, I was very privileged. I had savings from this job. Okay, I was going to ask you, so where were you financially at that point? You had enough money to, to carry you for what period At least of time? a year. Okay. At least right. a year. So yeah. you had a one-year runway. You were moving yes. back to the States as well, right? That was part of the plan. I had just moved back to the States you had just within moved that same time period. Yep. What did your friends prior. and family think about you, this move that you made? 
absolutely nuts. At my 30th birthday, I sat around the table. I told people that it was all my best friends looking at me. I said, I have an announcement. I said, I'm quitting my job tomorrow (laughs) and I'm taking $8,000 and I'm buying an old CentOS uniform delivery truck. And I need your help to make it into a little mini boutique on wheels because I want to launch before the holiday season. And their eyes were glazed over. And I don't even know where I got, I don't even know how I got the words out. I know I said it shaking because I felt so much judgment and rightfully so they should have judged me, right? Friends want to keep their friends safe, right? So when people tell me like, my friends aren't supportive, they're actually highly supportive of you, but they want to keep you safe. Okay. And so I, people were like, what? But they all pitched in to help. So I was July of 2015 and we launched the Flourish Market in October of 2015. So I took the $8,000 for my savings to buy the truck. And then I raised $5,000 on Kickstarter, which was all people paying up front for gift cards and discount codes so that I could buy merchandise right up front. Because even though I had money, I wanted it to be like self-funded and I wanted to be able to pay myself back within the first two months of business. I'm very like money oriented and goal oriented. Um, And I did, it was such a crazy thing to launch that though. It was very humbling to go from being like kick butt at my job and being on this fast track to quitting, to having to call and text women in my community and say, Hey, will you host this thing called a fashion truck in your driveway and invite all of your friends over? Because at the time my city did not allow fashion trucks or food trucks to park anywhere. So they all had to be hosted through events and, or like on private property. So it was very humbling, very humbling. Okay, um, we're going to break this down there because you shared a lot there that I want to get more more details. But before I go there, the question I, I've been asking here recently of everybody is, what, what does being your own boss, having your own business, what does that provide for you today? Hmm, purpose. Purpose. Um, being my own boss, God, the provision there, obviously, you know, income and all those things you would expect, but... I didn't quite know and fall into my purpose initially when I launched. It's something that I've, I've fallen into and fallen into stride with, especially over these past two, two and a half years, but purpose for sure. Okay. All right. Excellent. Wonderful. And so give me, obviously we've touched on it and somewhat obviously, but uh, give me the description. What is Flourish Market? Yeah. So we're a women's and gifts boutique. So we started as that fashion truck, but now we're in a, you know, we're about to celebrate six years uh, next month, which is wild. We're in a 3,500 square foot space. So we have a brick and mortar shop, but we're also online. We started with 10 brands. We now carry over 200 brands, all of which have incredible founders doing really good work in the world. Um, And when you walk into my boutique or go to our website, um, our e-commerce shop, it just looks like quote, any other retail shop or boutique, you know, we don't want pity buys. We want people to buy because they love the products. Right. And we try to have accessible price points. We have over 200 products that are $20 or less. Um, and people love gifting through us and treating themselves because when you wear our products or when you use our products, I think people feel very connected to a purposeful purchase. And how, how, do you, whole, like, how do you ecosystem. communicate that? How do you communicate? Like you said, I, I get it. And it makes sense that you don't want the shop to feel like a pity party or whatever words you use, which makes sense to me. But how do you nonetheless communicate the social impact that you're having with the, the vendors that you choose? I love that you asked this question, Henry, because I really messed this up. 
in the first few years of my business. So I communicated like my main marketing was, you know, every product like has a bigger purpose and it's fair trade and ethical. And people would walk into my truck and I was saying all these things about being fair trade and ethical and about this brand and about this brand and about this brand and the people behind it. And people just got overwhelmed. Mm. And the more I listened and kind of watched their body language, people actually didn't care. They didn't care about who was behind the per- purchase. They didn't when they first interacted with our business, right? And that still happens today when people come in our store, they don't care, okay? They want something cute. They want a good gift idea. They, If they walk in off the street, they want a cute new sweater these days. And we actually no longer lead with that in our marketing. And I actually learned it's not like <laughs> the best dignified way to lead in marketing, All right. So now we talk about the benefits of our product. So if it's a cozy sweater, if it works great for maternity, or if this is like a really cool hostess gift, that's how we lead just like any other retail shop would. But once we've made the sale at checkout, we let people know the story behind their product. A lot of times they've already read it on the card, but we affirm the purchase. So it's not the selling point, but it's the affirmation on the back end when they've yeah. already selected the product. And when we ship out orders, we actually write a handwritten note in every order. We let people know about the impact of their product. So it was a really big marketing lesson for me to learn, to listen to my customers and understand what was motivating them and driving their purchasing decisions. Now people who, once they've interacted with us a couple of times, and we're gradually sharing on social media here and there about the impact behind our products, that connects them to our brand on a deeper level and they stick around as repeat customers, but we cannot lead with that marketing um, when people first walk in our shop or interact with us for the first time. Yeah, no, no, that's brilliant. That's uh, such a huge learning there. And that's, that's a little masterclass there that you just shared in marketing. Uh, it would not have occurred to me either, but it makes perfect sense. The truth is that the stuff has to be stuff people want, has to be cute, has to be fashionable, something I want to wear. And then it helps me to justify my purchase. And oh, by the way, I had a social impact. Isn't that nice, right? Uh, yep. So it's icing on the cake, but it's not the cake. Uh, What's been interesting, Henry, is that's how they go and tell their friends. So really have it down to like a one-liner for each product or brand Mm -hmm. they're buying from. And so that is what they tell their friends. So when they get the compliment on the earring or the sweater, or when they hand that hostess the gift or the birthday girl the gift, they end up telling them that's what like spews out of their mouth. And that's what kind of interests people. If we led with that marketing, it wouldn't work. But when they hear it from a friend that they already know and trust, it works and they come and check us out online or in person. That makes sense. So that's kind of mean that you also try to support the sharing of that information over social media, because that is such a great platform for others to share that. Is that fair that you bring that into your social media campaigns? Absolutely. And we work hard to do it in a dignified way. Um, <laughs> The women behind our products, if people could sit with them. So specifically, I'm thinking of women who have come out of incarceration, come through addiction programs, been rescued from sex trafficking. We have so much to learn from them. The power in their resilience, their clarity of mind, their rootedness and their purpose um, and walking through such hard situations and they come out of it just like ready to just save every other woman that's in the same situation as them. And, and that's how we tend to share stories of their leadership and how they're like local leaders in their own communities in the U S and all around the world and how much change they're driving. And we market in a way and share those stories in a way of like how we can come along and support them behind the scenes. 
Like we don't want to be out there and being the saviors of the world. We want to be equipping these change makers, right? Who are already in their communities doing great work. They're already trusted on the ground. And how can we support the great work they're already doing? Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Okay. I, I want to r- touch again briefly on the funding. Uh, walk me through that. The initial funding was from where? Uh, for, to buy the truck initially and to outfit it yes. and your initial inventory. So that was a combination of your money and that Kickstarter campaign. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I had $8,000 truck and build out. It went a little over. So I borrowed a little bit more from personal savings. The build out wasn't too crazy or expensive because it's just a little truck. So I didn't have, the reason I love the truck is because I didn't have to sign a lease. Um, right. I did. It was like way less. It was risk averse. I'm actually very risky. 50% of me is risky. The other 50 cent. 50% is very risk averse, so it like worked. So it was like all in maybe right under 9,000. And then I took $5,000 from the Kickstarter campaign, which again is not free money. It's not people donating to me. It's people buying gift cards. That's how I did it at different levels, higher the gift card amount, you got the bigger percentage you'd save on your first purchase. I and I took that to buy the inventory knowing that that's what people were going to spend it on. And I could lose that all in the first week if everyone right. came and used their gift yeah, cards. That so was risky. What, what ended it up was happening risky. here? Um, oh my gosh. I had to remind people to use their gift cards. Really? I think that's like me when I do Kickstarter, I'm like, yes, yeah, so here's like $250 for your grand opening. And then I'm like a year later, I'm like, wait, I never went and got my, my donut. So the, <laughs> mo- the bulk of the people still really looked at it as a contribution to help you get they this did. business started. They did. And they bought into it. Did you do a good job with the video and and how you pitched why you were starting this business? Was that part of why you think this campaign was successful, the Kickstarter campaign? Henry, do not Google for this video. It's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing now. on my memories the other day and I busted out laughing and I showed it to my team. But it must have been effective. It must have been impactful though. It was. It was. It was uh, was filmed on my cell phone video, uh, on my cell phone back in 2015. So the video wasn't as great of quality, but I was just in the fashion truck with my dog, with my broom, dusting out the fashion truck on the inside and just painting that vision and, and just telling people I needed their help. And, um, what I did before that though, to know kind of how to talk about the opportunities I did round tables with friends. I did five with five to 10 women at each telling them about my plans, walking them in the truck. I just gotten and saying, okay, when I go to launch this, what are your ideas? What kind of inventory should I get? So I did a lot, a lot, a lot of listening. I did not ask about marketing messages, but I asked about the initial campaign, the inventory and what they'd like to see. So, you know, they told me, here's what I'd like to hear, you know, in the, in the video campaign. And I think, you know, when I look at it, it was all people I knew, I don't even think I had one person that was a friend of a friend. It was all contacts I had made I in my see. life. And I think when people go to launch and you forget like just how many people you actually right. know. Right. Um, so that was really cool. And then that's, uh, I've read that uh, and seen it as the, one of the keys to success with those type of crowdfunding campaigns is the audience you already have and bringing that audience to it to get their support. And that, that was critical for you there. But the other huge takeaway and this relates in so many aspects to creation of content is not being, I think people connect with stuff that's more raw as opposed to overly polished. Now there's a place for that, obviously, for a, a nicely produced video, but people connected with it because they felt it was real and that there wasn't any kind of marketing glitz or spin on this. This was really you 
showing you doing this and they bought into the purpose. And of course, a lot of it was people that knew you, right? It's true. People yeah. want to see you in your life. They got to see the behind the scenes. They don't just want to see the launch when, you know, I was taking them behind the scenes, showing them on Instagram, like the build out of the truck. And then over, it was like 44 people, I think helped me build out the truck and label inventory over the course of three mm, months. Wow. And when people are invited, whether it's in person or through social media, through voting and all of that, when they feel like they've given you input or helped you in some way, they're no longer readers of your story. They're co-authors and they help you sell the book. <laughs> yeah. They're invested. Yeah. No doubt. They're invested. Great. They're invested. And that's how we've continued to scale our business is by just leaning into listening, ask, inviting people in and yeah, it's just helped us scale. Yeah. This is Henry Lopez pausing this episode for a moment to tell you about my trusted service partner for business franchises, Giuseppe Grammatico, the Franchise Guide. Giuseppe is a franchise consultant who helps his clients find financial and time freedom through small business franchise ownership. If you're listening to this podcast, then you are obviously interested in starting your own business, but perhaps you're not interested in starting a business from scratch. If you instead think you want to leverage a more proven business model, then I suggest you may want to consider a franchise business. With the right franchise, someone else has developed and perfected the business model, and you're able to leverage that expertise and experience by investing in owning and operating a franchise location of your own. But to find the right franchise that's a fit for you is not always an easy process. You need help. And I recommend Giuseppe Grammatico, the franchise guide, to help you consider franchising and find the right one for you. And remember, as a franchise consultant, Giuseppe's fees are paid by the franchise company you choose and not by you. I trust and personally recommend Giuseppe, and he is currently helping me as I search for a new franchise business to launch. Visit thehowabusiness.com for more information and the link to schedule a free franchise consultation with Giuseppe. And when you connect with Giuseppe, just let him know you heard about him on the How A Business podcast. Right. So obviously it's a retail model at the brick and mortar location, but you also have a wholesale component. Is that correct? So we do. So here's how I would say it. We break it up. We work just like pretty much any boutique. And if you're unfamiliar, if you're listening with how retail works. So when you go in into a store and you buy um, a mug for $20, most likely the, um, the owner paid $10 or less for that. So it's like a 50% markup. Now I will say we have smaller margins because we do buy fair trade and ethical brands. So a lot of boutiques have like 70% markups. If you buy a dress, it's like for $150, they may have only paid $40 for that. Sorry to ruin that for you guys, but <laughs> that is the deal a lot of times. But because I want to keep our price points accessible, we rarely, if ever, go above a 50% markup. Um, just in the essence of, I just want, would rather sell more, make a smaller profit margin and still be successful as a business and help other businesses be successful. The wholesale, the love of wholesale for me comes from I officially launched it last year, but I have a program called the wholesale way. I was, we'd get these pitches from makers and brand owners from all around the world and right here at the U S in the USA. And their products would just be a little bit off or their pitch email would just be a little bit off. And we're like, ah, oh, they're so close, but I didn't have time you as a retailer, right? They're pitching to me as a retailer, right? We get like almost hundred pitches a week through Instagram or, or through email, Henry. Um, and 
I just didn't have time to get back to everyone <laughs> um, individually, but I wanted to, and I felt this like inkling inside of like, oh, I just want to help like all these folks who are so close to being able to land our account or other accounts. They just need to make a few of these updates in their products or their messaging or their merchandising or their pitching now. And so my love for that and the way I got involved in wholesale is by coaching makers and brand owners on how to get their products onto store shelves. Okay. And what we've been able to do with some of these brands is actually make do like private collections and launch wholesale through them. Okay. So we've like collaborated on collections and we've purchased from them wholesale, but they're also then able to um, sell to other retailers as well, because I don't want to hold on to, I make the designs exclusive. I just want them to be successful. So that's how we work both sides of the business. You're facilitating wholesale for, for certain vendors. Am I understanding that right? Yes, you are. Okay. So I've got about a hundred people in my program. And so they receive like monthly coaching. I don't work directly with all of them to do collections, but I coach them because my goal is to help them land their products on as many retail shelves as possible or as they want. Right. And, and you're, are, you're holding business. their physical inventory and distributing to their, their individual retail locations. Is no, that... not at all. I'm just no, okay. play. I'm just playing coach to them, and coaching. but okay. we buy from almost all of them for yeah. the flourish from the flourish market. So yes, we, the way it works, especially in fair trade and in social impact businesses, we buy everything up front at full price right? Um, we pay them all up front and then we get the product and we sell it. And if it doesn't sell for us, we have to mark it down and put it on sale. And that's on us. Whereas bigger retailers, they'll do like net 15, net 30 terms or pay like six months later. Right. Um, but that is not how we operate. Got it. That's far the part of the, what you've called, been calling, referring to as fair trade. Yes. Um, okay. Are you the, the chief Buyer, I guess, is a term that comes to mind. You are the one that decides primarily what you're going to bring on in a way of a new piece, a new item, or do you have a team that helps you with that? It's a great question. I have a team. I call myself the chief signer offer on <laughs> the buying. So whether we're going, we go to markets um, every one to two months in person all around the US. But we also shop online um, through different like online markets. And so whether we're in person or online, I have a team, shout out to Jess and Jesse, very confusing, Jess and Jesse, <laughs> um, my buyers. So they fill the carts in person. They'll put the first rack out or pull the items they think I'd like. And then I'll do the final call. I love buying. It's one of my favorite things. If I spent all my time doing that though, I wouldn't be moving forward only what I could do um, in owning the strategy and the vision and the boulders for our business that need to be moved forward. So that's one of the things I've actually had to let go of as we've scaled is doing all the buying and um, being the person to like find the brands and get the first look. But my buyers are amazing. What do you do now that brings you the most uh, reward, the most uh, joy in your oh business that is? The thing that makes us the least amount of money is what I enjoy the most. And so I make margin to do it. And I'm very smart with my time where I'm not doing this and actually moving the needle in our bottom line of income and impact. But having a real conversation with a customer in our store who's walking through hard time or a celebratory time, anytime a customer is real with me and gives me a real answer to how are you doing, that is my favorite thing. And how we've translated that into um, cause I'm very honest online. Um, I've, I've walked through hard things in my life. I've gone through divorce really hard, 
um, just things in general as well that I've shared openly about after I've, you know, done the healing work for those. And so our customers are really attracted to our business because a lot of our team is like that and, um, and has stories. And so they feel safe to share theirs and how we kind of tie that into our bigger business mission for, we do lots of different things. For example, this past February, I did a big Galentine's event. I brought in my personal therapist. We sold out of $150 tickets, like in a few days for people to join a zoom room and to actually like hang out with my therapist and cry and laugh and just talk about resilience and what it looks like to support women as women. If you would have told me just a year ago that, uh, well, pre pandemic that I would sell out $50 tickets, like almost immediately for someone to come hang out with my therapist in a zoom room, I would have been like, you're kidding. But what we found is we've got to help women right here in our community with their bigger needs. They don't necessarily need a floral jumpsuit. They need a woman to come alongside them and tell them they're not alone, right? And so the marketing is that deeper need and how can we meet those deeper needs? So we try to pair that in ways that absolutely do not make us money, but also pair it in ways that do make us money so we can keep sustaining our work. Sure, yeah, that's great stuff. Okay, okay, so um, how did you get, tell me one thing that has been one of the key ingredients to how you got to where you are today with, as you said, and I read in the bio, you know, no prior retail experience, zero, if I understood, on, on formal advertising and no loans either, if I got all that right. But what's right. one thing you would attribute to being able to do that? I just always laugh at the no retail experience. You guys, my first um, truck event, someone came to the checkout and I realized I had no idea how to like check out their card. Oh At gosh. some point I received a swipe card reader. That's how <laughs> just excited I was. So <laughs> for all you entrepreneurs out there, maybe you haven't taken that step, but you want to, you do not have to have your crap together. Just like you really just don't. Go. Just, go, <laughs> just and go. I was like, say yes and figure out later. My biggest key has been uh, twofold. So one listening and listening well to our ideal customers and then on the back of that, inviting them in as co-authors, okay, mm -hmm. which usually includes a direct ask. So I mentioned earlier how it was humbling when I quit my job and had this fashion truck to have to reach out to women, make this pitch of, can you host us in your driveway and can you invite all of your friends over? And people were like, is this like a weird Ponzi scheme? Like what's happening here? <laughs> but uh, they realized it wasn't. But to, to make those direct asks, okay? And to have other than their co-authors of the story, they're inviting their friends. And still to this day, the way we make more than 50% of our sales and income is that we ask women, to host in-store parties. That's always been our model from 5 to 7 p.m. Pretty much every day. We do two to three on Saturdays. We just take off Sunday. We don't do any parties then. You but host them there at, at your retail At location. our store. And yes. And so we send them an invite. They send out to their friends. And we have anywhere from five to 50 women come to these parties. And we donate 10% of sales to the hostess's favorite nonprofit or adopting family. Mm -hmm. And Brilliant. Yeah. that has been how we've grown our business. I listen, women at the end of the day need connection. This is the way we can come alongside them, especially in the middle of a pandemic in our city. So have to wear, we've got a mask mandate. So we serve as that safe place to gather non-awkwardly and hey, do some good with your dollars. So that that is how, listening and then making direct asks. That's how you gotten the word out. It's interesting as I think about it, you were able to do that I think, in my opinion, in large part because you started small, you started with a truck instead of opening that, you know, 3,500, whatever it was, square foot space. 
it comes to me, it hit me that often maybe why we jump to doing the big brick and mortar location first is in some regards that's easier and that I don't have to go do what you had to do, which is to ask people to let you put this thing in their driveway and to invite their friends and family. That that takes some uh, some courage to do. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, uh, it would be a lot easier for me to just open up and then, you know, kind of hide behind my glass and wait to see if people come. You had to get out there. You had to actually put yourself out there in, I think, a much more exposed way, mm-hmm. vulnerable way, because of the way you started. What do you think about that? Absolutely. I had to get out there and pound the pavement and I did it scared. I think so many people, um, and this was true for me, like wait for that courage and that it's like this almost this permission slip. We feel like will be invisibly granted to us internally where we're like, okay, now we can go because we've mustered up from somewhere, some sort of lack of fear or bravery. And no, you just have to go, like you said earlier and go scared. And here's the deal. How can you practice asking for what you need today in your personal life. Like, do you need a, someone to come over to your house to sit like and watch your baby monitor at 8 PM. So you can sit in the back and, or go somewhere and have some clarity of mind. Like how can you practice today asking someone to help you or for, or asking for what you need? Okay. And because as an entrepreneur, when you start your journey, you have to do that every day, every day, you're putting yourself out there. And the good news is the more you do it, the more you get rejected the easier it becomes, it builds that tough skin in you, but the world needs more of us putting ourselves out there scared, right? The economy is counting on us and that passion burning inside you that like your insides are counting on you too. <laughs> your soul's counting on you. And so I always like to be very clear that I go scared. I shake. There are so many things my team sees me and they're like, you're so confident. And yes, I am. And I don't even quake on so many things now out of practice, but there are still things where I'm pitching and I have this mindset of like, hope I'm not bothering them. But guess what? I learned entrepreneurship from my grandpa. He was a appliance repairman who did not speak good English. I answered the phones for him growing up. And what I realized entrepreneurship, any business is just listening to someone's problem and following up with a service or product that helps them. That's it. That's exactly what my grandpa did. And so we're not bothering people. When we put ourselves out there, we're giving them the opportunity to have a solution for themselves, but to also come alongside us because not everyone's meant to be an entrepreneur. Most people are meant to come alongside us. We just have to ask them. Yeah. Well said, well said. Couldn't agree more. All right. Let's, uh, we touched on you, you introduced the wholesale way, which is the, the course that you offer for social impact makers. And and so tell us where we can go to learn more about that and the special offer that you have. Sure, okay, so I know most of you listening, this is not applicable to you, but I know that you know someone (laughs) who is a maker or brand owner. So if you've gone to a pop-up before, if you follow a, a solopreneur on Instagram or a small business, this is for them, even if they've never gotten their products onto retail shelves or even considered it yet. Most people in my monthly program, um, my monthly group coaching program, they are just starting out in getting their pitching retailers. Okay. So very specifically, my program is for makers and brand owners, and it teaches them every month through a different training and through live community calls. And I even bring in a um, psychologist to do like mental health work with us, but they learn how to pitch collaborations, pitch retail accounts and grow their bottom line. So I have a very special link 
that you can send these people. And if it's you, I'd love to work with you. But if you go to the wholesaleway.com backslash how to for Henry's podcast, obviously, um, you can sign up there. It's only $37 a month. I want to make things accessible. <laughs> and also if you join you, I launched this a year ago. You're actually, if you join through that link, you're going to get a whole year's vault of monthly training. So you can pick and choose what would be most helpful to you right now. But I can tell you right now, if you're a female entrepreneur, I do have a couple men in my program. You are welcome. Most folks are women. That's tends to be who I attract with like my inspiration and tangible tips. But what you really need is community and people who understand it, who can walk this journey with you and the people in our program, they're amazing. So I'd love to have you the wholesaleway.com backslash how to, and if that is not you, please get this in front of your friends who are out there, um, who would fall under a maker or brand owner category. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that Emily. And if you didn't get that URL, it'll be on the show notes page as well. I'll have it there at thehowabusiness.com. All right, we'll start to wrap it up. I'm always looking for a book recommendation. Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Yes. One of my business coaches, Rachel Rogers, put out a book earlier this year called We Should All Be Millionaires. And if you are a woman, I suggest you read this, especially if you have any shame um, or mindset issues around money, which is normally pretty much everyone. It is so good. She shares so vulnerably her personal experience and it's powerful. Great. I had not heard of that book. And so thank you for that recommendation. We'll have a link to it as well on the show notes page of the Howland Business. So thanks for that, Emily. All right, we'll wrap it up. What's one thing uh, you want us to take away from this conversation that we've had about your experience with launching and growing Flourish Market? I think I'm going to go back to sticking your paddle in the water. What is one thing, if you're listening, that you can do this today, this week, this month? Tell out loud to someone. If you need someone, hit me up on Instagram at Emily Gray Underway. You tell me out loud what you're going to do. But what is one small thing you can do soon, (laughs) today, this week, this month, that can get a little momentum and traction for you in trying something new. And that's if you're not an entrepreneur yet, but want to be, or if you're already an entrepreneur, but you're like, I got to start putting myself out there more. What will it look like for you to put your, your paddle in the water and start getting in motion? Yeah, that's brilliant. That's, that's what we try to focus on on this show. So I appreciate you sharing that focus because it can be so overwhelming and paralyzing when we stop and think about everything that has to get done to possibly launch a business. And that paralyzes a lot of people, including myself. So by taking that one actionable step, as you said, putting the paddle in the water, that's how I have gotten there. And that's the way you got there as well. That's right. A couple other key takeaways for me, certainly it reaffirms what I talk about a lot on this show, Emily, which is to start as small as you possibly can, that MVP approach, minimally viable product. And that's what you did so brilliantly, which allowed you then to have that room, that space and that time to listen well, as you said, to your initial customers. And then you evolved, you pivoted, because if you had started with the grand vision from day one, a lot more that would have already been locked in and in place and a lot more money spent and a lot harder to then adjust and pivot. And then the way that you've grown through through facilitating that conversation is another brilliant takeaway. So tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. 
So I actually love hanging out on Instagram. So beyond the wholesale way link I gave earlier, if you want to know more about me, any of my businesses to see my really cute dog, Henry, 70 pound pit bull mix, um, and just the highs and lows of um, running a business. I share real life. Follow me on Instagram at Emily gray underway and G R E Y. The, the glory of Instagram is my link tree it has everything there, whatever I'm currently working on the links to all of my businesses. Um, find me there, reach out, let me, I love hearing from people when they've heard me speak somewhere or on a podcast, let me know what you learned or just reach out and say hello. And if you've got products that you think would be great for my shop, please pitch me, put yourself out there, go scared, pitch me scared. I would love to hear from you. Excellent. Absolutely. And so Emily, thanks for this great conversation, for being so transparent, sharing so many great takeaways. I appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. Thank you for having me, Henry. And thank you for what you do for your listeners and in your business of giving people a straightforward roadmap of how to actually launch and scale a business. I think it's really important work. I appreciate that. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Emily Gray. We release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.